0: But we're in, the, we're in this, this uh, sermon series called Advent, and we join uh, thousands of churches around the globe in, in celebrating Advent. And Advent means the waiting, the expectation for the birth of our Messiah and Lord Jesus Christ. And so in many ways, it's, it's sort of this collective um, with other churches around the world as we usher in. Uh, each week of Advent, and we're in our our third week, and Advent is typically marked by the lighting of candles, as you saw earlier from Miranda and her family, and these candles have names. The first one was hope, and we lit that a couple weeks ago. Last week was peace. This week it's joy. That's the pink one, and then uh, next week it'll be love, and then the middle candle is uh, what we light on Christmas Eve, which symbolizes Jesus Christ as the light of the world, and it's just been an incredible sermon series for us. And this morning, I want to talk about that third candle, that the third week of Advent, which is joy. And sometimes I think, at least for me, I sort of confuse joy and happiness. And they're, they're not the same thing. Happiness is kind of a temporary emotion. It's, a, it's an emotion that perhaps we have on the surface and it doesn't stay very long. But joy is different. Joy is lasting. Joy is something that is deep within us that lasts a long time. Yeah, at the same time, if we're to be honest, joy is tough stuff. I think it's a lot easier for us to be happy at times, but joy is, is it's a different kind of thing. And when grief or sadness or perhaps the plain challenges of life, or perhaps it's simply what's happening in our world today with the increase of gun violence each week, there's a shooting somewhere, joy is tough. Joy is especially tough, I think, in this Advent season. And it seems that, that church or religion or God is like the last thing that we turn to when it comes to joy. And, and maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe you came to see the, the kids sing, and you're part of a family or something like that, and, and joy for you, joy will happen for you once you get through the service, and your feet hit the pavement, and you get inside your car, and you go have a nice lunch, and you watch a football game, then joy really starts to begin for you, Okay? So for each of us, I think it's the challenge to have joy. Well, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, watching a documentary on the troubled life of Amy uh, Winehouse, and a famous singer that was well known. And in fact, uh, jazz musician Tony Bennett said that, that Amy Winehouse probably had one of the best uh, voices he had ever heard. Not saying something from Tony Bennett. And what was interesting about this this documentary on Amy Winehouse is that most of her, her life was on video. Family and friends took a lot of video of her. So you see this girl as a teenager and very much full of joy. It was so palpable as I was watching this documentary. It was so contagious. This smile and this, this, this effervescence, a part of life that was coming out of her. And yet when, um, when things began to spin out of control in her life, when she began to become very successful on... Uh, the release of one of her well-known songs, "I'm Not Going to Rehab," and here's a clip of that song. You'll hear it right here. Okay, so probably now you kind of recognize, you recognize a little bit of who Amy Winehouse is. And once that that song became well-known, um, her life began began to spin out of the control. And that joy that she had when she was younger, it showed in the documentary, was she was trying, like, everything possible just to have a taste, just to have a flicker of that joy that she had in her teenage years. And as success came and as fame came, that joy seemed to be uh, out of her reach. And she was trying everything possible just just for something, a taste of that joy. And, And she turned to heroin, she turned to drugs, she turned to alcohol. And unfortunately, she never found that joy, and she um, unfortunately drank herself to death. And it was just a sad sad story. Likewise, we read the story of Joseph and Mary, and in a similar way, their lives are spinning out of control. In a different way, obviously, but their lives are spinning out of control. And we read about the shepherds in the Christmas story, too, and their lives are spinning out of control. And when we come to the Christmas story, oftentimes we see the Christmas story as like a Disney movie. The wise men following the the bright star in the east. And we read about the shepherds uh, having that encounter, this amazing encounter with an angel with this bright light. And and we read about Joseph and Mary making this trek to Bethlehem. And and there's no room in the inn. And they have baby Jesus in the manger. And it has this sort of idyllic uh, uh, sort of feel to it like it's a Disney movie. But when you, when you dig deep within the Christmas story, there are things that are spinning out of control. And that's why I want to start this morning, is looking at the story of Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. It's the third gospel. In the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Otherwise, you can pull it up on your iPhone or whatever device that you have. But we're going to spend most of our time looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to kind of work through this story in stages. Okay? Let me pray for us as you're uh, turning to Luke chapter 2. Father God, I I lift this message up to you and I pray for uh, each person that's here. God, that you have a word for them. You have something that you want to speak into their life. As we think about joy in a time and circumstance that seems to be um, more of a challenge than ever before, help us to enter into the story of Joseph, Joseph and Mary and to uh, consider the, what you want to teach us. And God, as I stand up here, I do not feel adequate to give this message, let's be honest. Uh, this is your message I simply want to be a conduit, a vehicle for the words that you want to share. So anything in my life that needs to be uh, put off to the side, any agenda, anything I have, God, I I just pray that you have free access to speak to this community this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus, this is Augustus Caesar, he's the adopted son of Julius Caesar, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, we need to note that a census wasn't something that was done every year. It was, it was sporadic. But the Roman government would do this at times, and they decided at this particular time to do this. And we have the parenthetical statement. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient, ancient, ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time. And while they were there, the time came for her babe to be born. She gave her birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. Let's just kind of walk through this together. Now, a Roman census was not a pleasant experience. It wasn't a pleasant experience at all because it was decided in Rome by politicians who neither cared, cared for the people of Nazareth or, or for the people in Bethlehem. It wasn't a, a pleasant experience because what you had to do is that you had to go back to the origin of where your family grew up. So in this case, for Joseph, it was to go from where he was living in Nazareth and go all the way back to Bethlehem. And that was not a pleasant experience to do something like that. Because they had to go back. They had to register. They had to pay taxes based on the size of the household. And the taxes back then, we think taxes are high in Minnesota. Back then, it was very, very high. Much higher. Also, with the story, we read that Mary is obviously pregnant. Very pregnant. And there are no hardship exemptions for for pregnant women. So Joseph was forced to bring his nine-month pregnant wife on this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Sixty miles uphill. Nazareth was in the lowlands. Bethlehem had a higher elevation. So in a sense, they're going uphill for 60 miles, okay, with a nine-month pregnant wife. And here's the challenge. If Mary were to give birth to her son before they reached Bethlehem, their taxes would raise by 50% because instead of having two people in their family, they would have three, So there is a lot in this story, a lot of tension of what was going to happen. And not only that, on top of that, is that this route from Nazareth to Bethlehem was known for bandits that would surround this area. Bandits that would assault people. Bandits that would try to steal from from you. So there was the threat of being assaulted. And also, on top of it, as if that's not enough to the tough terrain, a pregnant wife, the bandits... Joseph and Mary were very poor. The poorest of the poor. Because we read in other gospel accounts that Joseph and Mary took certain exemptions that were only available to the poorest of poor. So they're in a very precarious situation. Very tough situation. So Mary's pregnancy, the difficult 60-mile journey, the poverty increased the tension for them. And for them, as they were to reach Bethlehem, was very much a lot of circumstances, a lot of things that were out of their control. Inside your program, you have teaching notes. I want to encourage you to follow along with me and some fill in the blanks that you can provide as well. Is that the journey to Bethlehem created problems that were out of Joseph and Mary's control? That's important for us because we read the story, and it seems very straightforward. It seems very, very, like I said, Disney-like, but yet there's a lot of things happening that were out of their control. And I think in a, in a similar way for each of us, we sort of have this forced journey to Beth- Bethlehem, don't we? We have a government that decides taxes. In Minnesota, they're quite high. Uh, we have a government that decides laws on insurance. We have, we have a government that puts policies and laws on health care. We have judges that des- decide the custody of children. We have judges that decide how an inheritance is divided. Even though we, 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 we seem to have control, we really don't have as much control as we think. And I think very much like Joseph and Mary, you may find yourself sort of on this forced journey to Bethlehem where there seems to be no person to turn to or no place in the inn. Now, I like to be in control. I think think a lot of us do. I like to be in control. I like to have certain items in my life a certain way. I have a certain routine, for example, here on Sunday mornings that that I do in order to get prepared for uh, preaching. And I like to have a little bit of control on, on what I do on Sunday mornings. I go to bed early on Saturday nights. But no matter my preparation, things happen in our lives when we don't have any control. And it's very unsettling. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have the same thing. No matter how you prepare your life, no no matter how much you orient your life, there are things in your life you don't have control over. The in-laws will never change. Okay? And the in-laws are going no—they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Amen. As Davis is next to his in-laws. Uh, Or perhaps the diagnosis is certain, the bankruptcy is final, the divorce is final, the roof has to be replaced, and you just don't have the money for it. There's things that seem to be out of your control, and there's no place to turn to, and there's no room in the inn. In addition to Joseph and Mary not having control of the circumstances that we read in the Christmas story, we also see another set of characters that have very little little control. Look at verse 8 as we come across the famous shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened. It's important for us to note that. They're they're terribly frightened. Something that is out of their control is that they they see this angel in this bright light. And if you were to uh, look at this word terrified terrified in the actual Greek language, let me tell you what it really means. Freaked out. Okay? That's a technical Greek word for that. They're freaked out. It's not like, oh, it's an angel. We're so happy to see this angel. I mean, they're in the dark of the night. It's in the, you know, they're out in the field. It's something they they did on a routine basis. And all of a sudden, this angel comes out of nowhere, beyond their control, and shows up. And I I think to the shepherds, the angels could be like terrorists. They're absolutely freaked out. Because the shepherds, that's just what they did. They lived out in the fields, a very simple life, a very routine life. Life. Things didn't happen out of the ordinary very often. And when we look at the story of the Bible, actually, being a shepherd was a noble profession. We go all the way back to Abel. He was like the first shepherd back in Genesis chapter 3. And we read about Abel in 3 and 4, and he was like the first shepherd. Then we read about people like uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and King David And even God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament uh, declares himself as a shepherd. So the shepherd profession was like a a noble profession. But by the time we get to the first century and we see these shepherds here in Luke chapter 2, that noble profession had dropped down a few rungs. In fact, uh, being a shepherd was like the lowest of the low. You just didn't hang out with them, they were the outcasts. They were not welcomed into communities, they were not welcomed into the restaurants. Uh, they were not welcomed into any kind of synagogue. The, the shepherds were kind of sent out to the fields. It was pretty much them, the sheep in the fields, and that's it. However, they're caught in this bright beam of light of an angel, and the glory of the Lord surrounded them, and there's no place to go. There's no place to escape. And this was not their doing. This was out of their control. And even though the angel meant well, for the shepherds, as they were concerned, They were terrified. Absolutely freaked out. The next feeling you have is that the shepherds encounter with the angel was out of their control. Have you ever, ever felt terror in your life? And I'm sure you have. Maybe it's a sound in the middle of the night and just kind of takes your breath away. And your heart beats really fast. What was that sound? And you reach over your spouse. You're like, hey, go, go find out what that sound was. Right? Or maybe you're in their grocery store, and temporarily you lose one of your children in a grocery store, and some of you parents know exactly what that's like, and it just takes your breath away, and your heart beats really fast. There's like this terror inside you. Where is my child? Will, will I lose them? And we, we, we experience that in our lives, and and we have sort of a physical response to that. It, it brings accelerated breathing, extreme anxiety, this sweat on our, our forehead and our hands. And then for the shepherds, they felt this terror. And I'm sure their heart was beating very fast and their breath was taken away. But it was beyond their control. Yet, this is what you've got to catch. God entrusts the news of the birth of Messiah to these lowly shepherds. The lowest of the low. Okay, it'd be like uh, Prince William and Princess Kate, the announcement of their baby, not being done by the paparazzi in London, but by sanitation workers. That's what this is like right here. Because C- for centuries of time, people waited with a bated breath. When's the Messiah going to come? When's the Messiah going to come? And finally the Messiah comes and God shares the news with these shepherds in the middle of the field. It's absolutely beautiful. And of course the angel needs to reassure the shepherds because they are freaked out. Verse 10, take a look at your Bible around the screen here. The angel assures them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David. Now let's focus on this phrase, great joy. Because in the midst of Joseph and Mary and the shepherds, lives that were beyond control, the angel announces this joy, this joy of Jesus Christ. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. In the Greek language, joy means Cairo. And what that means simply is, is joy. It means gladness and it means delight. But in, in the world of Joseph and Mary, as Jewish people, in the Hebrew language, joy actually has, there's a few different words that, that define what joy is. And what joy is in the Hebrew language is more of a demonstrative, more of a, a physical response it's jumping, it's singing, it's yelling, it's dancing. And I think a good sort of uh, view of this or a clip of this is uh, the movie Miracle. When the 1980 United States men's Olympic team upset the Russians. And I was in fifth grade when this happened. And after uh, they had won that game, the absolute joy that spilled over from that bench and onto the, uh, onto the ice arena was so amazing, and I think in many ways that scene in the movie Miracle sort of demonstrates the kind of joy that we're talking about that Joseph and Mary would have felt. Let's take a look at the clip. Come on the U.S. huge yeah. underdog, leading uh-huh. so- the Soviet Union. Johnson over to Ramsey. 11 of 56 by Ramsey. McLaughlin is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You got 10 seconds. The countdown count going on right. Don't believe it, no. You know, for grown men, it just brings tears to our eyes. Let's be honest, huh? I was in fifth grade. I remember watching that live in fifth grade. I was living in western Wisconsin, a little farmhouse. And I just remember being on the carpet and I'm watching like the last ten minutes of that game because we had taken the lead four to three and I was just clutching on the carpet because that last ten minutes seemed like an eternity, didn't it? And my golden retriever is like right next to me and he's not quite sure what I'm doing. He's whimpering and he's wondering what's going on. And, and I'm clutching on this carpet. I'm like, 10 minutes. You know, and it gets to the end. I just jump up. Yes. Yeah, and I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs and my golden retriever starts howling. And yes, <laughs> we won. We won. We beat the Russians. And I think that's the kind of the, 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 what we mean in the Hebrew language. This joy is just erupts out of us. In the Midwest, I think we have a hard time with this, don't we? I remember my Grandpa Johnson is a very reserved Swedish farmer. And the only time we really knew that Grandpa Johnson had joy, he, was act- he would actually smile, you know. And there's no jumping or yelling. But that's the kind of joy that's that it's being talked about. When it says great news, that will bring gr- a great joy for you. That's what it's talking about is this, this eruption of emotion and this, this experience that we have. Yet I think for many of us, That for us to have joy, we think we have to have our lives under control. But the Christmas story is in the context of lives that are spinning out of control. They have no control over what's going on. And yet in our 21st century America, we think we have to have things under control. Our jobs, our kids, our finances, our plans have to be under control. And we believe that, that we need to have control from the time that we go to bed at night, from the time that we wake up in the morning. And we, we sort of see this sort of cause and effect. The more control I have in my life, the more joy that I'm going to experience. And that's a myth. Now, control is a critical aspect of our lives. Psychologists tell us it's an important human basic need. First, we're born into it. Our parents maintain control over our lives when we we're children, what we wear when we eat, Uh, Where we go, uh, what we do, and as we grow up and become adults, we gain more and more control in our lives as we travel through certain rites of passage, driver's license, high school graduation, college graduation, hopefully moving out of mom and dad's house before the age of 30, uh, getting married, having a job, and along the way, we gain more and more control. It's one of our human uh, basic needs that we have a choice over the events in our lives. Yet if you read the papers these days, the New York Times, Washington Post, Minneapolis Star and Tribune, more and more today Americans feel helpless. More and more Americans feel anxiety and concern and fear about the future. Less control. It almost seems like a cruel joke or an idiotic sermon that I'm going to be up here preaching about the importance of, of joy in our lives at the same time giving up control. That to have joy means to give up control. It almost seems sort of like a joke, but the Bible says it this way. For us, for you and I, to have a lasting joy doesn't come from external circumstances. It doesn't come from a new house. It doesn't come from a a change in in employment. The Bible answers it simply this way, and it's the Christmas story, that true joy comes in our life from Jesus. That is the expression and the definition and experience of joy in our lives. Is that Jesus is the answer. That Jesus has control. He'll handle what we can't handle. He will do what we cannot do. He is more powerful than any government, any army, even the Navy SEALs. He'll make room in our lives when there's no room in the inn. He will calm the terrified heart. In one of my favorite passages in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 16, if you follow along with me on this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. You may want to underline that phrase in your teaching notes or in your Bible, is that He is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And what Paul is saying here, St. Paul is saying, is that Jesus Christ is supreme. He has control. The fill in the blank that you have is, Christ's birth ushers in joy because he is in control. Now, we ought to be responsible for the areas of our lives that we can, we can be responsible, but we have to leave the rest to God. We have to leave the rest to Jesus, and in doing so, we experience joy. It's not throwing up our hands on life and resigning ourselves. It's not fatalism. It's faith. Joy is adjusting to Jesus and what he's doing. Yes, we have plans. Yes, we make preparations. But joy is adjusting to what God is doing in our lives. It's adjusting to his salvation, believing that he's at work in our lives and he will not stop until we go to heaven. True joy happens not in a change of circumstances, but actually in Jesus. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. It should cause laughing and singing and dancing that will be for all people. I came across this blog a couple weeks ago, and this uh, young woman named Ashley writes this. Hi, my name is Ashley, and I'm a recovering perfectionist. I was a straight-A student in high school, in top of the class, with color coded notes and binders in a locker that was fantastically organized. I was in Spanish club, French club, dance team, the honor society, gymnastics choir, and somehow still managed in eight hours of sleep each night. I had dreams of attending Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, becoming a child life specialist, getting married by 25, having t- 2.5 kids, and living happily ever after. It was a story I'd been told about what a perfect life looks like. And I knew I could make it happen with enough control. If I stayed on the right track, if I said the right words, if I acted the right way, if I wore the right clothes, meet the right people and do the right thing. And after three years in a job that left me physically exhausted and emotionally drained, I realized that living like you had total control over your life was impossible. And if you tried, you'd burn out. And I knew I had to make a change. But I was terrified. I was scared to let go. My whole identity was based on having and maintaining control. And it is scary for us, isn't it? It's terrifying. Not only in Ashley's words, but what the shepherds experienced. We need to trust the words of the angel. I bring you good news that will bring you great joy. Joy is adjusting to Jesus, what he's doing in our lives. Joy occurs in our lives not only when we believe that Jesus is is in control, but actually trusting him with the stuff of our lives. You have a verse in your uh, outline and also on the slide, Romans 15. May the source of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. I'd like you to do something. Circle the words hope and joy and peace as you trust in him. And these are the first three words of our Advent hope and joy and peace and draw a line to trust because all three of those, all three of those words come from trusting in Jesus. And the question for you this morning, do you actually believe that? Are these simple, simply words on a screen this morning? There's something that inside you that you trust Jesus, that your hope and your peace and joy will come as a result of trusting in him the last fill in the blank that you have is the more I trust Jesus, the more my life is filled with joy. It's not the more I trust myself, the more, the more my life is filled with joy. It's not the more I trust my family, the more my life is filled with joy. It's not the more I trust my friends, the more my life is filled with joy. It's not the more I trust the economy or government, the more my life is filled with joy. It's not the more I trust in my job, the more my life is filled with joy. It is the more I trust in Jesus, the more my life is filled with joy. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks this morning for the joy that's found in Jesus Christ. And as we remember this story, the Christmas story of the shepherds, we're reminded of lives that were spinning out of control. Joseph and Mary and the shepherds things that were happening beyond their control and the angel says I bring you good news that will bring you great joy God I pray in this Christmas season wherever people are at this morning you're fully aware of that I pray that they would experience joy that you would usher joy into their lives as they focus on Jesus Christ the Messiah And maybe in the midst of circumstances, maybe in the midst of challenges, maybe in the midst of when things are out of control, that they simply whisper to themselves, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen.